Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We're going to look at what is probably one of the most controversial chapters in the Bible. We're going to look at chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I will say that I know a lot of laymen have spent a lot of time researching 1 Corinthians chapter 14, taking it apart, even taking upon themselves uh, the uh, task of trying to figure it out in the Greek and then, you know, cross-referencing it and doing all kinds of studies on it. I've seen diagrams, PowerPoint, and, and each trying to prove a point of view concerning chapter 14 that would find a whole lot more peace and joy in life if they spent just as much time studying about who they are in Christ and what he's done for them. You know, part of the uh, issue with walking with the Lord and growing in truth is that we get distracted. We major on the minors. Christ is the hub, and everything else is a spoke. And if we put our emphasis on the spoke, the wheel breaks. We always put our emphasis upon Christ and who He is to us in His life. Today uh, in chapter 14, I'm going to go over some things with you. This is going to be to some degree informative. And the reason that I'm doing it this way is because, because the amount of emphasis that's put on this chapter, you just need to see how it weighs in the whole of the light of Scripture And the reason this scripture is so difficult to deal with is because it deals primarily with the gift of tongues. It has been and still is to some degree one of the most controversial chapters in the Bible. Now, isn't that silly? I don't know about you, but it strikes me as being silly. But nonetheless, Paul devoted an entire chapter to this issue. And we are a church that teaches and preaches Book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So tonight we're going to look at chapter 14. And this has been, this controversial chapter has been abused by many teachers and preachers on both sides of the issue, and even by some denominations. It has been the center of divisions and factions. And in truth, I believe that any portion of Scripture that becomes a tool for division in the church has been misinterpreted and abused in the hands of men. At our little fellowship, we have a saying that says it's just about Jesus. And we say that humbly because that's no little thing to be about Jesus. But it is the truth of our conviction It's not about the gifts or any of the blessings of the Spirit. If we find ourselves making some aspect of Christianity in life more important than the life of Christ in us, then we're going to be distracted and vulnerable to heresy. And that's not his heart for us. He entered into a relationship with us. He didn't enter into a business agreement. Business agreements will always focus on details. 
Relationships focus on people. And that's what Christ did for us. He drew us into a relationship. Good, when it becomes the focus, is the enemy of the best. And the best is always Jesus. I believe context is critical when you seek to understand these scriptures. And the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So when we look at this chapter, what we're going to do is we're going to look at at it in the context that is consistent with the emphasis that the Bible makes on the New Covenant. That is what we're going to be consistent in. First, we're going to take into account that this letter to the Corinthians is all about correction. It's all about correction. It has very little doctrine in it. It is a letter that was written to answer questions concerning worship and Christian living. And these questions were being asked to settle disputes and divisions that were occurring in the, in the church due to carnality. These were fleshy people. They had gotten off track and they were man-centered in their worship and in their belief system. And the problem was that in time, they became man-centered in their thinking And society began to infiltrate the church. And you see that a lot nowadays, where the church begins to adapt itself to the world rather than holding true to what they believe. They begin to change and shape how they believe in order to take the world in. So Paul is dealing and deals with in this this book, he deals with division, sexual immorality, Christians seeking to take advantage of Christians and suing each other. Distortions concerning marriage, family, and gender roles. They were re-entering pagan feasts and wounding the weak brothers with so-called liberty. They were manipulating the use of spiritual gifts to honor themselves above others. And as we saw in chapter 13 that we just finished, all this was being done without love. Love wasn't even in the picture. Now, the question we might ask Paul is, why in the world was it necessary to write an entire chapter concerning the gift of tongues? And is that important? Is it that important? Is tongues that important? No. In fact, as we look at this text, we find that Paul refers to it as a lesser gift that will cease. Okay, he defines it that way. And by the way, for the Corinthians, tongues weren't a new phenomenon. It was not just particular to the Christian. Tongues were normal, a normal part of pagan worship. I read uh, a bit written by one theologian. He said that if you study the Greco-Roman world in the time of the Corinthian church, you will know that they had various priests and priestesses and people who were devotees of God's, who would go to these great temples and they would worship with these priests and priestesses. And it was very common that a devotee would go into what they called an ecstasy. And ecstasy means to go out of oneself. The literal meaning of the word is to go out of yourself. And they would literally flip out and then they would go into an unconscious state in which they would have all kinds of phenomena occur a psychic kind of phenomenon. And they would believe that when they went out of themselves, they were literally, they literally left the body and they ascended into space where they connected to this deity. 
And whenever they connected to this deity that they were worshiping, they began to commune with this deity, and they began to speak to this deity in his language. They began to speak what they called the language of the gods. Now, this was very common in their culture. There was not a single time in in that type of setting that you didn't have that happen. So this was nothing new. It consisted of ecstatic speaking or babbling that they claimed was the language of God, and it was incomprehensible. Now, that is not the gift of tongues, all right? That is not anywhere near the gift of tongues. But just to, so you know that the enemy always has a clever duplicate to try to pull us off track. We've got love and we've got lust and infatuation. You remember when, when Moses went before Pharaoh's court and, and he threw down his stick and it became a snake that the priest of Pharaoh did the same thing? You see, the, the enemy wants to mimic what God does in order for the Christian to put his hope and faith in something other than God, to draw him away. Listen. That's why it needs to be just about Jesus. Because if it's about anything else, you'll be just as attracted to the false as you are to the real. That's the reality of it. Now, let's look at the gift of tongues and its history in the Bible. Did you know that in the Old Testament, the gifts of the Spirit were expressed by men when the Spirit came upon them? But there is absolutely no mention of them speaking in unknown tongues. It begins in the New Testament, and we see it in Acts, beginning at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And there were actually three miracles at once. There was the sound as a mighty rushing wind, the fire over the head of each apostle, and the preaching of the gospels in languages. And all of the people, all those representatives of those languages, could hear it and understand it, and they were all amazed. And then verse 7 tells us they were amazed by the sound and the sight of it. None of those people in that crowd were Christians. But it got their attention. Would mine too, wouldn't it? However, we don't see anyone getting saved until Peter preached until after Peter preached. Then in Acts chapter 10, that's the next place it's mentioned, as Peter was finishing up his sermon in the house of Cornelius at Caesarea, we read that the Jews were amazed that the Spirit fell upon the Gentiles who were there, and they knew this because they heard the Gentiles speaking in unknown tongues, praising God, which meant they were there were those among them who knew what they were saying. That's the the second instance. And then again in Acts 19, Paul's preaching the gospel to some of the disciples of John the Baptist, and they were saved. And when he lays hands on them, the Spirit comes upon them, and they spake in tongues, and they magnified God. Obviously, if you knew they were magnifying God, you knew what they were saying, right? Now, that's all that's in the book of Acts. There is one other place in the New Testament, and that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. 
In 1 Corinthians 12, enlisting the gifts of tongues, the last two, enlisting the gifts of the Spirit, the last two are tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Then in 14 is a discussion of this gift of speaking in tongues. There's that long chapter of discussion. Now in Pentecost, it was an understood language, but in the Corinthian church, it was not an understandable language. It was an unknown tongue. In the second verse of chapter 14, Paul says that they speak in an unknown tongue. In verse 14, Paul says, if I pray in an unknown tongue, my mind is unproductive, meaning I don't know what I'm saying. Only in 1 Corinthians is this addressed. As I said before, it is not addressed in the Old Testament. It is not seen in the gospel. There is no mention of Jesus ever speaking an unknown tongue, either in prayer to the Father or in his teaching to the disciples. There is no mention of Jesus using unknown tongues in preaching or prophecy. In the listing of gifts in Romans and in Ephesians, it is not listed. It is not found in any church except this one church in Corinth that Paul refers to as a carnal church filled with immature believers. One theologian writes, It is not found in the churches of Macedonia, in the churches of Achaia, in the churches of Asia, in the churches of Judea, in the churches of Samaria, in the churches of Rome. It is never referred to. The only time it is ever seen is in this one carnal church in Corinth. It is never referred to in the epistles of Paul, except here in the letter to Corinth. It is never referred to in the pastoral epistles when Paul writes to his young sons in ministry how to conduct a house of God and how to carry on the work of the Lord. It is never referred to. It is never referred to in the book of Hebrews. It is never referred to in the general epistle of Peter, James, and by John. And it is never referred to in the Revelation. It is a phenomenon that you find only in this church in Corinth, this speaking in an unknown tongue. The abuse of tongues had become a disruptive problem in the Corinthian fellowship that Paul writes this chapter to restrict it to its proper application and to control its abuse. Now listen to this. Chapter 14 is not a mandate for the exercise of unknown tongues. Now, be a Berean, and uh, if you have some doubts or questions concerning that, take some time and look at it. We're going to go through this verse by verse. Now, I am not going to tell you that I believe that there's no such thing as tongues or that tongues have ceased because I don't know. I don't know. So I'm not going to make that proclamation. But I will tell you this, it is not the main thing. So what I just read to you concerning the history of tongues in the Bible, concerning the application of chapter 14, is not something I made up. It's the truth. God doesn't put a lot of emphasis in this. It is a gift. It is a gift given to believers for the ministry and the edification of the body. That is what the gifts are for. If they do not edify the body, they do not have a purpose. 
The gifts are for the edification of the body alone. Let's look at our text. 1 Corinthians 14.1. Paul writes, Eagerly pursue and seek to acquire this love. Remember, we just got through with the love chapter, chapter 13. This love, make it your aim, your great quest, and earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual endowments, gifts, especially that you may prophesy, interpret the divine will, and purpose inspired preaching and teaching. This verse actually belongs at the end of chapter 13. All I can tell you is that the separations are not inspired, the word is. But it really belongs as Paul finishes up his writing on the greatest gift, which is love. And you remember in uh, verse 12, 31, where he says, basically, you have coveted the gifts, but I want to show you a better way. And then we went through the love chapter. And then Paul writes eagerly. And the Greek word there is, speaks of a, of a passionate pursuit, a chasing down to knock down and capture meaning the priority is love. Love is the context in which you should seek to express your spiritual endowments, especially when you bring forth prophecy. And prophecy is to interpret the divine will and purpose in inspired preaching and teaching. Prophecy is actually two words. It's pro, meaning before, and feme, meaning speak. It means to speak before somebody. Prophecy is to speak and to preach the truth before someone. So to speak out of love is not talking about speaking to the people you feel love for. That's not the qualifier. To speak out of love literally means that it is love is the source of your speaking. Love is the source of your speaking. It's not about what you're feeling for the people It's literally about what God is bringing forth through you in order to show his love to those people, to write that love upon their hearts. Okay, remember agape love is God's activity. It is not a feeling. Now, 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, If I can speak in tongues of men and even of angels, but have not love, that reasoning, intentional spiritual devotion, such as inspired by God's love for and in us, I am only a noisy gong and clanging cymbal. You see, apart from his life and his love flowing through us to minister truth to the people out there, we're wasting our time and theirs with noise. No man or uh, preacher or teacher should take upon themselves the idea that he is getting, he's coming before people to expound on his wisdom or his teaching or his education. That's not it at all. What is supposed to be happening in ministry, and particularly in the gift of prophecy, is that I am literally to bring before you with and by virtue of the love of God, his life in me, the truth. And it is the Spirit of God that ministers that truth to your souls. Now, do you know this? But the nurture of the child of God is not the gifts. The nurture of the child of God is not really not Bible study. The nurture of the child of God is not the church church. 
The nurture of the child of God is truth with a capital T. That's what nurtures, matures, and grows us. It is from that center point that we worship. We know from John that we, those who worship him, worship him in spirit. That's who we are. And in truth, that's where we are. Verse 2, 14-2. For one who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands or catches his meaning, because in the Holy Spirit he utters secret truths and hidden things not obvious to understanding. To the understanding. Now, this one we're going to wade through slowly, okay? Now remember that the purpose of the gift is edification of the body. The building up of the church or the body of Christ. Without an interpreter, no one understands, and the one who speaks only edifies himself. That is said, okay? This verse has interpretive challenges, particularly in the Amplified. First of all, the verse has an interpretive challenge in that line where it says, speaks to God, all right? You see it there? But to God, does not speak to men, but to God, all right? The Greek text has no definite article there. So really, it is better translated in English this way. So when in the Greek we're speaking about God, Yahweh, we are talking with a definite article. We're talking about the one, the God, okay? Without the definite article, it can be, it can be interpreted as a little g God. Speaking to a God, not the God. Okay? And an example of that is in Acts 17.23 where Paul is, talks about the monuments and he says there's one to an unknown God. That is where he uses the word God without the definite article. So that word speaks to a God. And then you look down and it said, you'll notice in the Amplified where it says holy in the Amplified, those of you who've gotten it, you notice that one's in, in brackets. Holy is in brackets because it's not in the original language, which means the spirit. Now, some of you have in your translation spirit with a capital S. Well, that word spirit could be translated human spirit as well as Holy Spirit. Why did the Amplified do that? Because they took a word, a Greek word, applied it to God with a definite article where, which wasn't there and called it the God. So therefore, the translation of spirit had to be Holy Spirit with a capital S. It changes dynamic of the verse. Because now we see that those who speak in unknown tongues speak not to men, but to a God. For no one understands or catches his meaning, because in the spirit, human spirit, he utters secret truths and hidden things. But nobody knows. Now what's the purpose of a gift? To edify the body. How does that edify the body? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't edify the body. 
I don't think Paul intends to spiritualize a tongue that no one, including the speaker, can understand. It's more akin to the ecstatic speech of a pagan worship. Now let's look at verse 3. But on the other hand, the one who prophesies, who interprets the divine will and purpose in an inspired preaching and teaching, speaks to men for their upbuilding and constructive spiritual progress and encouragement and consolation. Now that's where Paul is comparing the two. He says, the one who speaks in an unknown tongue without an interpreter versus the one who prophesies, which is better. One who speaks in a way that nobody understands versus the one who brings forward the truth of God to edify the body, which is better. And again, spiritual gifts are our purpose of ministering to the body. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.